Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and today we're doing another set of movie reviews, but we're going to do it with a twist. The two movies that we're going to look at are Saving Mr. Banks and Heaven is for Real, and both of them deal with, uh, at least indirectly, um, the theme of families. Heaven is for Real is a little less focused in this direction, but it does relate to family life in America. And uh, of course, Saving Mr. Banks, part of the key part of the plot is related to how um, the father of the key character in the movie uh, is impact, impacted uh, her view of life. So uh, I have two experts here from two different areas. Uh, Tim Baslin teaches in our media arts program here at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's going to give his background here in a second. And then Chip Dickens directs our counseling department here and uh, and has been with us before on issues related to family. So welcome back, Chip, and welcome, Tim. We're glad Glad to have you. Tim, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came to be someone who teaches about media and movies. Well, I, um, I grew up in Alabama, and I grew up in a, in a setting where we were not allowed to go to movies. We were not allowed to uh, be involved with culture much at all, secular mm-hmm. culture. Uh, it was bad, mm-hmm. completely bad. So um, we I, that, can, that made a disconnect in me between my faith and the real world to the point where I was almost scared of non-believers <laughs> at one point, um, you know, graduating high school around that time. Uh, in college, I decided to do a, a major in English mm-hmm. and in Bible, and I, was, I think I was seeking to kind of pull those back together and how I started seeing lots of connections between the two. And I continued that on through my master's and then my PhD, which I did at Fuller Seminary in Theology and Culture, mm-hmm. one of the only places that was offering that sort of PhD at the time. Um, I studied under Rob Johnston, who mm-hmm. was one of the leading um, experts in theology and film. Mm-hmm. I started a lot of the conversation in theology and film. And though I didn't study film, I studied literature, mm-hmm. I still gathered a lot from him and his perspective and how to approach film and culture in general. Well, we may have to psychoanalyze you by the time this is all over, <laughs> listening to that background. So, uh, uh, all right, so I think my part's done. I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, I mean, that is an interesting twist in the story that we didn't know about, so that's good uh, that we may talk a little bit about that transition that you went through, because that actually is part of our topic for today. Uh, Chip, tell us about your background. Yeah. I. Uh, um, I grew up in probably the opposite kind of a family tended. We had lots of culture, <laughs> not in the high highest sense, but uh, not a very Christian home. And uh, and my home, uh, interestingly, was uh, dysfunctional in, in a lot of ways. And uh, probably my own journey uh, uh, of faith and, and healing uh, really interested me in relationships and uh, really kind of what was going on inside of me. And uh, so very interested in psychology, uh, did my master's and Ph.D. in clinical psych at SMU and uh, and did a dissertation in child development. And uh, so I've done a lot of work with families and uh, 
trying to understand some of those issues. So these two movies are going to be really uh, fascinating to see how those uh, dynamics kind of play out in these stories. Well, uh, since we're in a full disclosure mode, I'll go ahead and t- t- to give my <laughs> background. Um, I also did not grow up in at least an explicitly Christian family. My, uh, my parents both came out of Jewish backgrounds, uh, but left Judaism right before I was born, which meant that our family was isolated from the rest of the mm. family after that mm. they made that announcement. Um, and then uh, we grew up in a, in what I would say is a, was a moderate Christian church, but uh, so I went to church on Sunday and was involved in Sunday school. But it was theologically moderate, and it was um, and when my mom contracted cancer when I was about eight years old, she died when I was fourteen of cancer. We really almost stopped going to church just because of the logistics. She was in and out of the hospital several times, six operations in that period, and so just a really uh, difficult, traumatic time for the family. So. So that's our background. I didn't come to the Lord until I was in college, and so, so I also have a background that uh, that um, that doesn't feed into a, a, a strong Christian uh, rootage. So we so you're outnumbered here two to one. It looks like. <laughs> um, uh, let Let's turn it, our attention to these to these movies. They do two very different things at the at the core surface level, but I at the more basic level, I think they raise some interesting questions. Let's talk first about uh, Saving Mr. Banks, which was the first of these two movies that came out. Uh, just some statistics is kind of interesting. Uh, the budget for Saving Mr. Banks was $35 million. Um, movies are never about chump change. Uh, they always are very, very expensive to produce. Um, when I go to a movie, I watch the credits at the end, usually <laughs> sit through that uh, as a reminder to me of, um, of how, how much goes into the production of a movie and how many different people have to uh, participate in it. That's what part of what makes it expensive. Uh, it grossed $101 million so far. And and has just moved into uh, DVD sales, which will be a whole other level of, of the economics of the movie. And um, Tim, what was your take on, on Saving Mr. Banks? Uh, at the surface, it's a it's a story that tells kind of the behind the scenes of one of the more popular movies when I was growing up, uh, Mary Poppins. And uh, that certainly made it fun for people of my age. I wondered what the under 30s uh, think of it. but. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, what did you see going on in, in this movie? Well, um, Mrs. Tavers, the author, is dealing with her family issues and her father, her issues with her father a lot. Um, and <clears throat> I think what's interesting is the way that she comes to she, – she has spent her entire life sort of she comes off as a very curmudgeon lady, mm-hmm. older lady. Right. Um, she has written Mary Poppins, and then she has tried to protect Mary Poppins. And Walt Disney has been after her for 20 years trying to get the rights to this movie. And she will not give it to him because mm-hmm. she, doesn't, she doesn't want him to take control and take over. And mm-hmm. she's trying to protect this vision she has of Mary Poppins and, and Mr. Banks. Um, what I found most, most interesting is the way that she is – able to release that and give it up Mm -hmm. is through the imagination Mm -hmm. of the people at Disney. Mm -hmm. So songs play a really important part in in the movie throughout. Mm -hmm. Uh, The major emotional changes in her and in uh, Walt Disney and other characters, they happen in the middle of songs. Mm -hmm. It's not a 
here's the reason why you need to make this jump. Right. It's, it's this song that comes up, and it, she just starts feeling stuff she didn't mm -hmm. know was there, and, mm -hmm. and, and it, it starts to release her to be able to have some freedom and really end up embracing her own history and her own – or reimagine it in a, in a new way that allows her to deal with it a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I think the interesting – it's a, I think it's a very powerful movie. I think it was an underappreciated movie in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Um, and uh, the thing that struck me about it, Chip, is, is the core of the story is about this almost imaginative world that she has created out of a reaction to her own upbringing. Um, and so the protection isn't so much of the story, if I can say it that way, as it is as a certain conception of the world. Mm -hmm. Which which her personality uh, is hanging on to because I take it, you know, being an amateur mm -hmm. psychologist mm -hmm. here, but <laughs> because of the pain of her own experience and, and the protection that that generates. Um, how common is that? Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know in the story you get to see this on full display where she's tenacious. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is not going to let go of this and not. Not just let go of the script, but really what you're talking about is all the emotion and the uh, the relationships, and and they've become really significant to her. In fact, you see some of the staff even refer to the characters as family. Mm -hmm. They are there is a deep, deep attachment to this, and um, even, even though you see it displayed beautifully in the mu in the movie, I think all of us kind of do that to some extent. Mm -hmm. We uh, we have. You know, significant experiences as kids that were at critical moments that have shaped us, and and we've built, or our personalities have been built, and our histories have been built on those things. And so it's kind of like a Jenga puzzle. You hmm. you, you pull out one of those uh, at the bottom, and it endangers everything. Hmm. And so there's a lot of protectiveness that all of us probably do. Uh, hers was. You know, very public, or at least you know, part of a a, a scene there where or a series of scenes where she really did. She was given the Heisman move to everybody that moved in and mm -hmm. tried to threaten any of it. And it is interesting to see how she relinquishes it. It's never by uh, a convincing argument. It's as she builds a trusting relationship mm -hmm. with with this team at Disney, uh, which is really insightful, probably for all of us. That most of those big transitions where we. Uh, let go of that protective mode is usually when we start to feel safe and we, we build confidence with some other people. And uh, part of the reason uh, that Disney is able to pull that out of her mm -hmm. is because he has the same yeah. story. Mm -hmm. He has the same connections. Yeah. He tells a story of his mm -hmm. difficult childhood with his father mm -hmm. and how he didn't want to let go of Mickey. Yeah. And somebody was trying to buy Mickey from him and he wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't do it. Yeah. So he understood where she was coming from yeah. and he was able to create that relationship yeah. because of that. And Tim, I, it, it, it's a great observation because it doesn't have to be the same experience, but it, it, she gets the sense that he really understands right. because he's been through something comparable or similar, and he becomes a safe person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, it, and, it, and I think it's interesting, we're kind of dealing with, the, and I'm going to mm -hmm. almost clinicalize this, yeah. which is dangerous, yeah. but, um, but there's almost head and heart contrast here of what's mm -hmm. going on in the way in which um, music, um, uh, the role that music plays in, in kind of Connect, reconnecting the two, can I say it that mm -hmm. way, or, or allowing the two to relate to one another in a more functional way than in a dysfunctional way? Mm -hmm. Is that a, a fair 
fair characterization of what's happening in the movie and, and may also explain um, – this is not profound, but it, mm-hmm. it's an observation – may also explain why musicals like Mary Poppins mm-hmm. and, and shows like that end up being so popular in the yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, music is such a – from a psychologist's perspective, it's uh, – it, music gives people permission to feel, mm-hmm. and uh, but it also gives structure to it mm-hmm. as opposed to sometimes I don't want to allow myself to feel something because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to affect – and songs and music kind of give parameters for that as well as an invitation to, to feel things, and so they're powerful. And, and it's kind of difficult to sit here and – Analyze and talk about it rationally, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the point is that you can't. That's that, right. mm-hmm. that that's why it's so effective. Yeah. Um, so, at the very beginning, when when Disney first meets her, he says something along the lines of, "Your your book sparked my imagination, mm-hmm. and those embers are still burning." And he's he's been chasing her for twenty years, and those embers yeah. are still burning. And there's there's something so powerful about the imagination, which of course he comes back to towards the end when he's mm-hmm. talking to her. Um, he has a, a really great quote. I, I wrote it down here. Um, when he's convincing her about giving me your your father, basically giving me this story, mm-hmm. and he says to her that she, that he'll be redeemed redeemed through the story yeah. uh, if if Disney is able to take it. And he says, that's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We instill hope again and again and again, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Um, and you can see that in the movie and, and in the music. Mm-hmm. Um, one way of analyzing film, one way that, that we talk about it is that at the quarter point and the halfway point and the three-quarter point are very significant scenes. So I was watching this with a friend uh, on Tuesday, re- re-watching it, mm-hmm. and we went back to the quarter point and the halfway point and the, and the three-quarters point. They were all music scenes, mm. every one of them. Mm. The first one is setting up the conflict, mm-hmm. and it's the first uh, Chim Chimney mm-hmm. song, mm-hmm. and she's like, no, 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 we're, <laughs> yeah, not doing, yeah. we're not having music, you're not turning this into a musical and all yeah, that. Yeah. The second one is when Disney is dealing with how to mm-hmm. reach her, mm-hmm. and it's the song Toppins Are Bad. Mm-hmm says a lot to Disney, <laughs> right? Um, so he has to move away from he. You know, he's been doing this for twenty years, and he's not just chasing money, trying mm-hmm. to get from her. He's it's something significant for him. And then the last one is the scene where she finally breaks out, mm-hmm. and it's "Let's Go Fly a Kite," mm-hmm. and she's up and dancing around, and you know the assistants running to Mr. Disney's office mm-hmm. because <laughs> she's dancing. She's no one can believe she's dancing, mm-hmm. and and she can't believe it either. That's right. And it's the music that yeah. that got her there. And it's amazing to me uh, that uh, really I thought the last third of the film was was incredibly Mm -hmm. powerful and Mm -hmm. and the the let's go fly a kite scene and the way that all played out. I mean something as simple as flying a kite Mm -hmm. um, uh, ends up being something that that gets to someone because Mm -hmm. it, it reconnects them and gets them to readjust uh, the way they're they're looking at life, uh, it, very very interesting dimension mm-hmm. of things. I hadn't thought about asking this, but in the midst of the conversation, it strikes me that that this actually has a lot to say about the way churches engage with music and and the way in which people feel attached to the music mm-hmm. at churches and why music in churches end up being a, a sometimes a. a, a you would think well, we're going to sing and praise God. It ends up being a very contentious area. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, you know, I don't mean to lay a church on the couch and ask, you know, <laughs> how long have you been feeling like this? But yeah. Uh, yeah. but there's a sense in which uh, the way in which we engage in worship is such a personal dimension of how we relate to God. And when I do that corporately and there's a disconnect in how that plays itself out, that actually ends up being very disruptive mm -hmm. uh, at a personal level. Is it, and and yeah. does that help to explain why so much emotion is often wrapped up in, in the way we approach worship in a church? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, I mean, obviously there's lots of areas of contention mm -hmm. in church life, not just worship, but it is a powerful one. It's it's evocative. Mm -hmm. It uh, it engages uh, an area of our own experience that uh, sometimes we don't even um, manage real well, mm -hmm. and so um, it's a really powerful part of what it means to relate to God. I, I mean, even in the scriptures, you know the the. Different genres, whether it be psalms or, or even narrative portions in scripture, they they evoke emotion. Mm -hmm. They they draw us in in a way that's really powerful. It's it's hard to kind of just sit on the sideline and be an observer mm -hmm. when there's music. Right. It it draws you in. It uh, it pulls you in, and it, it sometimes even. Uh, when you don't want to be, and so yeah, I find myself reacting sometimes to hymns, and sometimes I'll go, mm -hmm. you know, I don't like that tune, mm -hmm. uh, but I'll sometimes say, but the words are terrific, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and and I'm and I'm almost, mm -hmm. you know, when when I'm in my engagement mode of thinking through what I'm actually doing, you know, sometimes I f I sense this disjunction in my own approach to worship, um, and and then I collect myself and, and, and say, you know, uh, we are here to praise God and not to analyze what's going on. Uh, but uh, but there, there is this – and it's almost instinctive. I mean, if you sat me down and asked, why do you not like this tune and why are you so drawn to that song, I probably couldn't entirely explain what's going on. And that's what I love about really this movie uh, with uh, – with the with the lead character, you get the sense that there's not a lot of awareness sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, there, it's kind of like like an iceberg. I mean, it, it really does kind of bob, and there's awareness at moments, and then and then she's kind of clueless about her own emotions and her own stuff. And I think there's something about that that's terribly human as well, and uh, draws us all in. And yeah. same thing during worship. I mean, yeah, it's, and the whole thing is brilliantly acted. I mean, I really think oh, yeah. Emma Thompson just did a marvelous job with the character mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and fleshing it out. How she didn't manage to get an Academy Award nomination yeah. escapes me, but that's a, that's a complaint like the complaint <laughs> I have about him sometimes. So. <laughs> uh, uh, what, do you, what do you think, Tim, when it comes to music and media? I mean, you all, you're in a program that talks about about worship a lot, and and you try and help people think through what what can be accomplished through the music part of a worship service. Well, I think one thing that the that music does in in worship um, is push us into the mystery because mm -hmm. it, it connects those emotions and those desires, those hopes, our imaginations, hopefully with good solid theology. Mm -hmm. And often we often we become contentious because people are wanting one side or they're wanting the other mm -hmm. instead of trying to find them both coming together mm -hmm. and being okay with them both. So some of us tend towards more intellectual mm -hmm. and will tend towards wanting those hymns with those incredible all that theology. Mm -hmm. And others are saying, I don't feel any emotion with this. I don't I'm not yeah. you know, it's not moving me. There's no mystery to right. it. Right. 
uh, and then other people are on the other side. They just mm -hmm. want to feel it and say the same words over and over again and, and it not have a lot of meaning. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's something actually that both of these films deal with quite well mm -hmm. is this movement between mystery and our reason and understanding and the hard things of this earth, but then this mysterious hope that we mm -hmm. can continuously get pushed towards and, and desire and want. Um, and that's why they're powerful for me is that kind of push into mystery. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, I, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to, as you were talking, it reminded me of uh, there's a, a group of faculty uh, colleagues out of Biola that uh, have been looking at this relationship and uh, a psychologist between explicit knowing and implicit knowing. Mm. And even right down to the neuroscience of how our brains are put together, that both are really valuable. And, and they complement each other, but they don't do what the other one has to do. So explicitly knowing more kind of that propositional truth and data and things of those sorts are really critical. But there's this implicit knowing about life and uh, relationships and who God is and um, even our earthly relationships that can't necessarily be boiled down into a nice mathematical formula. And, and both are really critical to have a full experience in faith and growing healthy relationships. So it's interesting as you talk about music that it taps into some of those as well. And this, this character in this movie has this kind of disjunction because on the one hand mm -hmm. she's clearly very articulate and thinks through why she expresses herself the way that she does. <laughs> I mean, words really matter to her uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a significant way and we're going to say it this way and we're not going to say it that way, that kind of thing. And then she does it with this beautiful British uh, flair which uh, I don't know what it is about about being on an island on the edge of the Atlantic <laughs> that allows people to have this ability. but uh, mm -hmm. um, So you've got that dimension, the equation, but as you said, when she wrestles with the relational part of what she's dealing with, she just has absolutely, at many levels, no clue. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the disjunction is so obvious. And, and the Disney character, which in some ways is a more subtle character, um, the Disney character has some sense of what that combination has the potential to be mm -hmm. and is trying to draw her into a recalibration, if I can say it yeah, that way, um, and, and, and pushes her in that direction. In the, and, and, and what's powerful about the movie, of course, is that we can identify with the difference in the characters and connect uh, with, the, with the struggle that it represents. Um, just one quick sentence, <laughs> that's why we need artists. Mm -hmm. But then uh, in what you're saying with all the stuff underneath that mm -hmm. she's not really picking up, let's mm -hmm. talk about the color red. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
when yeah. she says there will be no red in the film. Yeah. No red. And and Disney sees it as just a is this just a test? Like how can you possibly not <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. So why does there, why can there not be red in the film, do mm -hmm. you think? Yeah. I'm asking you. Oh, you're asking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I am completely not in touch with the color red in this movie. Okay. Uh, well, for me, yeah, uh, yeah. The, my observation was that, the, you know, the red was uh, uh, kind of a focal point when her father was dying. It was the, you know, the, the blood that he was coughing up. And, hmm. and uh, I don't even know if she realizes how. Um, Intimately, those two concepts are attached with just uh, because you know he tried to conceal it, and then she's looking through the window at him on his deathbed, and and he kind of gets caught not protecting the the rag that's just full of blood that he's been coughing up, mm -hmm. and so I think it's there she realizes yeah. this thing is it's not going to go well. That's interesting because yeah. when Disney confronts her yes. about the red, yeah. you don't get any sense from her that she knows yeah, why mm -hmm. necessarily. Although she, I think she knows probably why she doesn't like pears and why she's going to throw them into the yeah. into the swimming pool and all right. that. But yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's an interesting thing, just psychologically, how uh, you know, not to get into a bunch of psychodynamic you know theory, but but there is just a lot of stuff that influences us that we're not really quite sure how to connect the dots, but we're. Uh, but there's real powerful emotions that are attached to some of those experiences that we had growing up. Yeah, and another level of that is is that sometimes you're aware of a connection, but you mm -hmm. don't know what to do with it. Uh, right. I mean, yep. uh, for me, I mean, mm -hmm. since I think we have to go here, <laughs> for me, hospitals are really, really difficult places yeah. because I was literally between the ages of eight and fourteen mm -hmm. in and out of hospitals, watching my mom recover from operation after operation. You know, being in the room and and watching her wake up and deal with the pain and that kind of thing. So hospitals for me, I mean, they're already difficult places to begin with because mm -hmm. people who are there are obviously not doing well, they're not healthy. But but to actually identify with my mother's pain and, and the memories of that, anytime I go and do a hospital visitation, there's like this process that I have to go through um, to walk through those doors and, and face what's there. And at one level, okay, I get that, but at another level you go, you know, why is this always coming back up? Uh, you it's know. unreasonable. Yeah, you know, exactly. I should be able to overcome that. Exactly right. And you sit there and you go, what's going on here that this has such a mm -hmm. such a hold on, on me that it ends up being mm -hmm. such a difficult step to take? I mean, it's so obviously basic to ministering. And so mm -hmm. um, and, and the thing is, is that it was something I really didn't become aware of until I was put in a ministry situation in which going to the hospital was going to be a routine. Mm -hmm. the, and, and yet, for me, hospitals, there's nothing routine about going to a hospital, nothing routine mm -hmm. about it. And, and so um, I think that's a similar kind of, uh, of process that we're talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, I like how you even described you know, certain uh, kind of developmental points, emotionally, mm -hmm. spiritually. Uh, the same experience could have a really deeply profound effect on us, just developmentally. Mm -hmm. And so you see, even with the character in Saving Mrs. You know, Mr. Banks, I mean, she's kind of in that kind of that you know eight, uh, eleven, twelve-ish kind mm -hmm. of range there, and it's a real critical time. Mm -hmm. And so, even for your experience, I mean, mm -hmm. those are there's little windows there where our you know neuroscientists would say that our brains are primed to have deep emotional kind of attachments and an effect when we go through traumatic experiences or or even just life it doesn't have to be traumatic it mm -hmm. can just they can have a really deeply 
uh, powerful impact on us as adults. And now just to shift a little bit, I mean, to, you, you said, you know, this is why we need artists. The beauty of the way the film does this, of course, is, is it does it by this uh, juxtaposition of flashback with, um, mm -hmm. with where we are in the narrative and uh, giving you insights into what's going on to some degree internally in the person as we're thinking through this. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and, and I think artist is actually a very good word here because what you're seeing is someone who is so in who, the people doing the writing and the filming are so in touch with with human uh, responses and emotions and the way they work and the way the way the interplay works uh, that they 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 have the opportunity to give us insight into the way we think and operate without it being and sorry chip without it being in a psychologist chair I'm where totally someone free. sits down and explains <laughs> it to us you know there it is and you know in a big screen right in front mm -hmm. of us yeah. and of course with the imagination not only is the imagination of the film being displayed but that's triggering our own memory and imagination itself and getting us to reflect yeah. and interact with what's happening on the screen in light of our own experiences and boom all of a sudden you have a film that that uh, opens up uh, and and gets us to think about life that perhaps we wouldn't think about if we were in a lecture or a classroom or something like mm -hmm. that that is what artistry I think is ultimately I, I all about. I think that was very well said yeah I think we need to start doing voice lessons for the biblical counseling students well I I just will say this to people who um, who are watching and if they haven't seen the movie saving uh, mr. banks I think it is a movie uh, uh, worth worth seeing. Uh, it it does display um, a variety of important emotions about life and our upbringing, et cetera. And I think it, it leads to reflection to those of us who grew up in the Mary Poppins era. It also evokes all kinds of childhood uh, memories and 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 joy of attending the movie. I mean, if you just had that layer of just the enjoyment of Mary Poppins, that would be. Good enough, but it really is at a, a much more profound level a, a film that gets you to reflect about the impact of your family and your upbringing on what it is that you you do, and and as such, I think has real value. And I think of putting the term artist around it is a, is a good way uh, to describe it. And here it is: it's a mainline film. I mean, this is not an independent uh, production by any means, and. Uh, really reflects much of what I think uh, movies have the potential to do for us. Yeah. Well, let's let's shift gears and talk about Heaven is is for real, a completely different movie in some ways, a, a, a more certainly a more independent film in terms of where it, it comes from. But uh, this wasn't small potatoes either in terms of production. Uh, this uh, movie cost twelve million dollars to produce, um, so that's you know it, obviously not at the level of Saving Mr. Banks, but certainly uh, uh, expensive at one level. Although on the probably on the level of films, it, it was a very um, uh, economic, uh, not economically produced film. It's um, it's it, at this point uh, it's still in release and it's uh, at, at the sixty-seven million dollar mark. So it hasn't done badly. You know, I see enough of these figures and I go, I'm in the wrong profession. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, we should be artists. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's probably why we're not. <laughs> so. Um, 
Um, but anyway, it's a completely different film, and it, and, and it evokes a completely different reaction. But the reason I paired it with Saving Mr. Banks was not so much because of the theology of the experience of the child, which obviously garners a lot of attention, but the way in which this film dealt with life and family and the interaction about and around the experience, not just for the family, but in the community that they were a part of. I thought there were things portrayed in this film that you almost never see in films. And uh, the scene that leaps, leaps out at me about this is the, the point at which um, uh, the little child has, has a fever and is you know, on the edge, he's moving into the experience by which he sees heaven, but he's not there yet. And we see firemen gathered around praying for the child and, and different groups of people representing the church prayer chain praying for the child. And as they were working through the scene kind of bit by bit, group by group, I'm seeing it going, I can't remember the last time I saw something like that in film. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it just kind of, whoa, you know, yeah. it almost caught me by surprise. Something that happens very normally in some ways in our everyday church-going life that almost never gets portrayed in the public square. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And there were other dynamics in the film about the way the family worked in a kind of very low-key kind of way, not dramatized significantly, that also struck me about the way the film worked. Now, that's kind of my take on the aesthetics of the film. What, what did You said you enjoyed the film as well. What, what I did. did. You, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, first? yeah. What do you make of that, that this sort of as a – a cultural moment where there are all these films dealing with biblical uh, heaven is not heaven is for real God is not dead Noah uh, there's so many out right now and and more coming this fall there's one going to be on uh, Cain and Abel I believe mm -hmm, that's and, right and, yeah uh, we got couple Pontius others. Pilate coming Pontius up all the, I've, I've named it Pontius Pilate <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 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 we've got uh, you've got one on David and Goliath that's down the road you got okay. a remake of Ben Hur they're, they're mm -hmm. literally they're literally um, Naima Lett who was in here doing the first set of reviews that mm -hmm. we did uh, on God is not dead and Noah and uh, uh, she said there literally are three years worth they're they're in a queue. There are three years worth of these movies. You know there are two, there are two takes on this, um, and uh, I actually don't think you have to choose between them. Um, the cynical take is well, Hollywood's discovered there's a whole audience out there that they have generally not been tapping into that they can tap into if they do a good biblically uh, based. Uh, movie, uh, and so they're just in it to make the money, and and obviously Hollywood is about in part making money. So th there's that dimension of it, but I also wonder, in the back of my mind, if it isn't a, um, I I'll use a biblical word here, if it isn't a groping, uh, a groping after God, an awareness that there's a spiritual side to people that needs to be portrayed, nurtured. Uh, studied, pursued, filmed, however you want to put it, that um, and that these films step into a vacuum that yeah. has existed in Hollywood, and, and and the fact that people do connect to them, that they do generate audiences. I mean, obviously that helps on the economic side, but it also indicates something that goes that goes on in our culture, um, and. And films are, are, are this odd combination, it strikes me, of what Hollywood wants us to imagine on the one hand and what people uh, imagine on the other. 
And there's a lot of marketing that goes into Hollywood yeah. that, that put, tries to put those two things together. And so uh, I think that's another dimension, which means, just to add some more elements to the response, which means that there are opportunities for conversations in the public square that this filling this gap represents that the that people in the church shouldn't walk away from. Mm-hmm. They should walk into and and be prepared to engage it, which is uh, just to completely round this out, which is why we have spent time on the podcast walking into this area and engaging it, because we think it's an area where the church sometimes is slow to engage, or if it engages, it engages poorly and engages strictly from the standpoint of how does this line up with the Bible or not, when in fact there are life questions and life issues that these films are reflecting that need to be um, need to be engaged in. Now, that you asked me a simple question. I gave you a lousy long answer. But um, but anyway, that uh, that's my take on it. What do you think is going on here? Well, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, um, I think it's very interesting. I, I think to back up what you're saying, you have films that are being created like God is Not Dead mm-hmm. by Christians mm-hmm. simply for Christians. Mm-hmm. It's not attempting a larger audience. And you can from that see that Hollywood is simply um, – they see it as a place to make money, mm-hmm. and it is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's some. It, we've been sort of uh, neglectful of one another, mm-hmm. so to speak. And the two worlds are kind of clashing, colliding. Sorry, not clashing. Mm-hmm. The way that you were describing, mm-hmm. and uh, all these movies are coming out of it. And mm-hmm. I think they're along the along the spectrum. So you have a movie like God Is Not Dead all mm-hmm. the way on one side. Mm-hmm. You have a movie that's a little bit over. Mm-hmm. Um, Heaven is for real. Mm-hmm. That. It has from a from an evangelical perspective. There's a couple of things in there that you might you know try to question or wonder about, and not really like the theology of it mm-hmm. so much. And but it, it's kind of it's mostly for Christians. Mm-hmm. It's going to touch Christians the most, but it also is looking for a wider audience. Mm-hmm. It's looking beyond that a little bit. And it's, it's trying to raise questions for people, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. it's, and it's done a little better. That's right. And then you go more down the line, and you have a movie like Noah mm-hmm. that is very secular, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, but it's dealing with those a lot of those same issues. It's dealing with a lot of the um, questions and uh, biblical imagery and, mm-hmm. and how, do we, how do we interpret and understand this stuff and how does it affect us. So you have it all along that sort of continuum going on. I think that, that backs up what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, the Noah movie was an interesting movie from my standpoint. Of course, we already done a full podcast on this movie, but uh, it w- for the choices that, it, that the main character found himself uh, um, backed into a corner to deal with what were his loyalties in terms of his perception of what his duty was supposed to be mm-hmm. versus the senses of interrelationship that the that the that the two little children uh, kind of put into his lap that he had a decision to make um, you know that movie juxtaposed what I what I consider to be uh, an Abraham Isaac scene mm-hmm. into the Noah story and and really took a it was a biblical theme from another place and injected it mm-hmm. into that into that story but that didn't bother me because because the life choice that was represented in that in that scene is a tension that we sometimes feel mm-hmm. in life and have to negotiate our way through. So, Well, not, not to get totally back into Noah, right, but right. just to uh, – <laughs> what I kept being struck by in the Noah movie was uh, we talk about our, our culture being biblically illiterate mm-hmm. and not knowing what this stuff means, mm-hmm. and he brings up the images over and over and over and over. I mean, he just keeps repeating them because people don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. 
mm-hmm. to, to speak that back into our culture and our mm-hmm. culture to be aware of the apple, mm-hmm. the snake, mm-hmm. the cane killing Abel, mm-hmm. and the meaning of those and kind of connecting them to, to who we are and, and what our decisions are and that sort of thing. So Yeah, well, again, as, as we have suggested when we did the podcast back then, you know, there's an opportunity here for all kinds of conversation mm-hmm. about biblical themes, regardless of how you view how the particular director portrayed it. It's it's on the table and mm-hmm. it's there for conversation and and you can't engage it unless you're familiar with how um, how the director has handled it, how the story's been told, as well as having some sensitivity for how the Bible engages with the story. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Join us next week for part two. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.